You are listening to the Jesus Freedom Podcast, and I am Jamie Roundtree. Thank you for listening to the Jesus Freedom Podcast. Today I'm starting a new series called the 40 Days of Resurrection Power. One of the most unique times in all of human history and certainly biblical history is the 40 days that Jesus walked the earth as a resurrected man. Acts 1-3 says this, After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. If you are familiar with the story, after Jesus was crucified, the disciples and many of his followers went into hiding and were greatly afraid. And this is understandable. They too could be next on the chopping block. During this unique period of time, the 40 days, Jesus was convincing his disciples and followers he was resurrected, and all this happened to fulfill scriptures. He was restoring, redeeming, and preparing them for another powerful day, the day of Pentecost, when they would be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. While the scriptures doesn't give us a day-by-day account, it does give us several appearances and interactions that Jesus makes or has with his followers that that we will explore and draw insight from so we can be empowered to live boldly and unashamed. This This series is about exploring those 40 days Jesus walked the earth as a resurrected man, preparing his disciples and followers for what was to come. We're going to see a new picture of Jesus. In a previous series, we saw a picture of the suffering servant. But in this series, we're going to see a glorious picture. As it says in Revelation, his eyes are like blazing fire. His voice is like the sound of rushing water. His face shines like the sun in all its brilliance. Jesus declares, I am the living one. I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. Before we jump back into the story of Jesus, let's think for a moment about some other events in the Bible that were 40 days. The first one in the scriptures that occurs and comes to top of mind is the flood. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 6. Now God saw that the earth was becoming corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them out from the earth. Later in chapter 7 it says, It will rain for forty days and forty nights until I have wiped out from the earth all living things I have created. The flood was God's wrath on the violent people. And it's important to understand God's heart was broken and it was grieved. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. The flood was also an act of de-creation. God destroyed the earth and did a reboot and started over with Noah and his family. But we see very quickly that Noah failed or, or fell short as well. 
Let's contrast this with the resurrection of Jesus. First, Jesus suffered one of the most cruelest and most violent forms of death the wicked minds of men have thought up, the crucifixion. Second, instead of the floods of wrath wiping out all flesh, this time there will be grace and the Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. The resurrected, the resurrected man Jesus was a new creation. This, there isn't a man like him, and he walked the earth to bring redemption and restoration to humanity by restoring them to the image of God which is what he originally created us to be. Now, what is this image of God? It's a place of honor. We lost our place of honor when we sinned, but now through the grace of God, accomplished by the work of the cross, the honor we lost has been restored. As we explore the interactions with the resurrected Jesus and his followers, this will become more clear. The third thing is the flood was an ark or a larger boat that saved them from the floodwaters of God's wrath. But there was no deliverance from the evil thoughts and deeds that drove men to violence. Once the door on the ark was shut, no one else could be rescued. But the resurrection of Jesus opened a new door to all men everywhere to walk a new path, a path of freedom and deliverance from the evil thoughts and deeds that enslave men. The flood was God's righteous wrath on violent men. The resurrection is God's grace to transformation. Think about it for a moment. Who is the New Testament's premier example of transformation? Isn't it the Apostle Paul, a man who persecuted the church and gave the okay to violently stone the innocent man Stephen in Acts chapter 7? When Paul encountered the resurrected Jesus, he was transformed from an over-the-top religious zealot who went to great lengths to defend the Jewish tradition including approving the use of violence. After encountering the resurrected Jesus, he gave up his prestigious and privileged religious position and suffered violence for Christ and rejoiced, not in the violence, but that he was counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Paul's life is an example of the transforming, transforming power of the resurrection. Jesus turns violent men into gentlemen. He turns haters into lovers. Now, let's pick up the story where we left off in one of the last episodes, The Suffering Love of Jesus. It'll take us about five minutes to go through it, and then I will provide my thoughts. We will start after Jesus died on the cross and go up to the point the disciples first hear the news of the resurrection from the women. In the next episode... And the episodes coming, we'll start going through the appearances and the interactions that Jesus begins to have with his disciples, disciples and followers. So with that said, let's go back to the story. If you remember, darkness covered the earth and there was a powerful earthquake. Jesus utters his last words and dies on the cross. And now because it's a Sabbath and a special Sabbath because of Passover, the Jewish leaders do not want the bodies hanging on the cross. So they go to Pilate and ask him to remove them, all three of them. So Pilate told his Roman soldiers, as it was their custom, to break their legs to speed up their deaths. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he had already died. They pierced his side and blood and water flows out, fulfilling the scriptures that his legs would not be broken. It's Friday afternoon. And the Sabbath starts uh, when the moon comes up. Only hours 
before the Sabbath starts, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a good and a righteous man. He had been a secret disciple of Jesus. He was a member of the Sanhedrin Council, but he did not agree with the decisions and the actions of the other religious leaders in regards to Jesus' death. He goes to Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. Pilate, at first, doesn't believe Jesus has already died. But after he had it confirmed by one of his officers, he released the body to Joseph. So Joseph and Nicodemus, another member of the Sanhedrin Council, whom Jesus had a conversation with earlier in John chapter 3, they go to the cross, probably with some helpers as well. They remove Jesus from the cross and wrap him in a long linen cloth along with spices and perfumed ointment as it was the Jewish custom to do so. The place of the crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb carved out of a rock and never used before. This tomb belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. But because it was nearby, they laid Jesus in the tomb. There was also some women from Galilee there who followed them, and they saw where Jesus was laid, and they went home to prepare spices and ointments to anoint his body again later. The next day, on the Sabbath, the leading priest and the Pharisees went to see Pilate. They told him, Sir, we remember what this deceiver once said while he was still alive. After three days I will rise from the dead. So we request that you seal the tomb until the third day. This will prevent the disciples from coming and stealing his body and then telling everyone he was raised from the dead. If that happens, we will be, fur- we will be worse off than we were at first. Pilate replied, Take the guards and secure it the best you can. So they sealed the tomb and posted guards to protect it. Saturday evening. When the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, Salome went out to purchase burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Now early on Sunday morning, the women, the ones just mentioned, along with Joanna and several other women, so a group of women, started their journey towards the tomb. On the way, suddenly there was a great earthquake and an angel came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning and his clothes was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear and when they saw him, fell into a dead faint. As the women were still walking on their journey towards the tomb, they were beginning to talk among themselves, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But when they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. So they went into the tomb, but didn't find the body of Jesus there. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what I told you. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. 
that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful man and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter. Then they remember what Jesus had said and rush back to tell the eleven disciples and everyone else. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter and the apostle John jumped up and ran to the tomb. John outran Peter. So, I don't know, maybe John was in better shape or a faster runner than Peter. When John got to the tomb, he looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying in there, but he did not go in. Then Peter arrived and he went inside. He also saw the linen wrappings lying there. And there was also a cloth that covered Jesus' head that was folded up and laying separate from the other linen wrappings. Then John went into the tomb, and he saw, and he believed. For until then they had not understood the scriptures that Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went back home. Now, I'm going to make five uh, points about this story. The first point I want to make is that the resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. Our faith is not built on fantasy, myths, or old wise tales. In 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses a number of problems the church is having. In chapter 15, he asks them a question, saying, Since we preach Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there, that there is no resurrection from the dead? He goes on and says, If there's no resurrection, our preaching and our faith are useless, and we are fools. Paul, like the authors of the gospel, says all these things happen to fulfill Scripture. Also, Peter, the apostles, and more than 500 of Jesus' followers saw him as a resurrected man. In John, in 1 John, the epistle, chapter 4, John says that those who deny Jesus had a real body don't have the Spirit of God. He was addressing a problem that many believe that Jesus was only a spirit or a mystical person. But John says this, We heard, we saw him, and we touched him with our very own hands. Today, we have the same problem. Many don't believe that Jesus was a real resurrected man. Some Christians even think that the resurrection is just a metaphor. Other Christians would never deny he's resurrected doctrinally, but they minimize it, ignore it, or they don't live like he's resurrected. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 encouraged them to pray. that They would know the same incredible great power that raised Christ from the dead. So where are you at with the resurrection? Do you really believe? Remember when the disciples first heard the message, they thought it was nonsense. But Jesus gave them many convincing proofs. I encourage you to pray like Paul instructed that you would know the incredible greatness of the resurrected Jesus. The best place to start is an honest one. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I do believe that Jesus is waiting and wanting to help us live in confidence that he is alive. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will never die. Of course, he doesn't mean we won't have a physical death, but physical death will not be the end for us, but the beginning of experiencing the fullness of the new creation. The first experience of a new creation is when we're born again. As Paul said in Corinthians, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. As we move through this story, we're going to see 
a kind and compassionate Jesus. He uses the scriptures and has personal encounters with his disciples and followers, and he helps them have confidence that he is indeed resurrected. My second point is that all these things took place to fulfill scriptures. In most of the Gospels, the writer many times will point out the Old Testament scripture that Jesus was fulfilling. An example in this story mentioned today is Isaiah 53, 9. It says he was buried like a criminal and put in a rich man's grave. Jesus was treated like a criminal, a revolutionary who was trying to overthrow Rome the self-proclaimed king over Caesar. Of course, Jesus had no plans to overthrow Rome, and yes, he is the king, but his kingdom isn't of this world. Jesus was innocent of all wrongdoing, yet he was willing to be associated with criminals. He was also buried in a rich man's tomb, the tomb owned by Joseph of Arimathea, as mentioned before. He was a secret disciple and a member of the Sanhedrin Council, and he would have been wealthy or wealthier compared to other Jews. Jesus is not for or against the rich man, the rich man who humbles himself and uses his earthly treasures to serve the purposes of God, just like Joseph did, will have riches in heaven. When we talk about fulfilling the scriptures, what does that mean? Are we talking about prophecy or God's sovereignty? Christians kind of debate some of these things. I might talk about it later, but... What, the way I see it is God was providing clues through the Old Testament story on what his plan was. But because of sin and the hardness of heart, uh, they and we miss it. Even the disciples didn't fully understand it until after they experienced the resurrected Jesus. What if you, whatever your theological viewpoint is, or maybe you don't have a theological viewpoint or just don't know, we need the resurrection to be real to us in our hearts And this takes the work of the Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to these truths. The third point is this. I'm going to make, I'm going to point out three parallels in the Garden of Eden story in comparison to the resurrection story. The first one is when they were taking Jesus down from the cross and moving him to a tomb. It says the tomb was near a garden. It was in the garden that Adam and Eve disobeyed and received the death penalty. Now Jesus is buried in a tomb near a garden. The second one is when they were exiled from the garden, the Lord placed cherubims with flaming swords flashing back and forth in the garden or outside the garden to guard the tree of life. When the women first came to the tomb and went in, it was two angelic figures in dazzling robes telling them Jesus is alive. The third parallel is that in the garden, the serpent first approached the women or the woman and deceived her into taking the fruit from the wrong tree. The first announcement of the resurrection was to a group of women and the angelic figures told them to go tell the disciples. I think these things are intentional. Women lost their place of honor in the garden. Jesus came to bring that honor back. I think it's significant that the women were the first to hear the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. My fourth point is this, that the Jewish leaders who conspired to kill Jesus were so consumed with controlling the story and their power and influence, they went to Pilate and asked for the guards to both seal the tomb and to guard it so the disciples would not steal the body of Jesus. This is evidence that the disciples could not steal the body of Jesus from the tomb because it was guarded and sealed. The Jewish leaders would later bribe these guards to tell them a different story. 
this detail is more proof that Jesus is truly a resurrected man. The fifth and the last point is this. The angelic figures told the women to go tell the disciples, including Peter. So these, they mention Peter's name directly and specifically. Why is that? Peter denied the Lord three times and was grieved and defeated. But God's heart at the first announcement of the resurrection is to restore Peter. This is what resurrection is all about. It's restoring, it's redeeming, it's transforming humans into the image of God. This is and has been God's calling on humans from the very first chapter and verses of Genesis. And God said, let us make mankind male and female in our image. Thank you for listening to the Jesus Freedom Podcast. I hope you enjoyed and were encouraged by this episode and will join me on the journey as we go through the scriptures and explore the 40 days of the resurrected man Jesus. If you would like to contact me, you can email me at the Jesus Freedom Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening and I hope you have a great day.